One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. Henrietta Sutherland rushed into the dining room at 31 Buckingham Terrace in Edinburgh. The maid to the Merritt family found 55-year-old Bertha unconscious on the floor with a pool of blood around her head. Bertha's 17-year-old son Donald was standing next to her when Henrietta entered the room. It was shortly after 9am on March 17, 1926. The maid had been alerted by the sound of a single gunshot. When asked what had happened, Donald explained that he had been arguing with his mother and she shot herself. However, not everything was as it seemed. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 31 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Born in Southport, Bertha was the youngest daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Milner. Bertha's father was a wine merchant and she was fortunate enough to have the means to travel the world at a young age. On a cruise to Egypt, she met an electrical engineer called John Merritt. John was travelling to New Zealand for work, and after a whirlwind romance, Bertha decided she would join him. They were married in New Zealand, and on August 17, 1908, 
the couple welcomed their first and only child, Donald. Bertha was 38 years old at the time of Donald's birth. She was excited to become a mother, and her son immediately became Bertha's entire world. John's work took the family to Russia, but Bertha decided to relocate to Switzerland with her young son. She felt it would be safer following the outbreak of the First World War. Moving around to different countries so frequently meant that Bertha and Donald were especially close. Eager to find a better job, Bertha took her son back to the UK and began working for the Ministry of Food in London. In 1917, she invented a fuelless cooker called the Merit Self-Cooker. The wooden box with heat-retaining chambers kept food warm or heated it enough to finish the cooking process. The success of her invention provided Bertha with enough money to support herself and her son. Once the war ended, they moved back to New Zealand. Bertha and Donald had lived without their husband and father John for many years. In fact, they had never heard from John since they had moved to Switzerland. It was assumed he either remained in Russia, or Bertha believed her husband had possibly lost his life there. The mother and son did not remain in New Zealand for long. When Donald was in his teens, the pair moved back to England, living near Reading where Donald attended Malvern College. Despite his academic talent, Donald began to rebel. His disregard for authority and tendency to break the rules led Bertha to decide her son would be best placed at Edinburgh University and Donald could live with her while attending classes. In early January 1926, mother and son moved to Edinburgh and in March of that year they began renting a flat at 31 Buckingham Terrace. Donald had enrolled on an art course at Edinburgh University. He was given a weekly allowance of 10 shillings from his mother, who lived off a yearly trust of £700 through her financial interests. Bertha tried to set a good example for her son, but years of upheaval clearly had an impact on the teenager. Bertha Merritt put Donald's future at the top of her priorities, and tried her best to ensure he had a good life despite his father's absence. Her friends described Bertha as being a splendid, cheerful and charming woman who was exceptionally capable and did everything to perfection. The pride she felt for her only child was palpable, but Bertha had no idea that her son was living a double life she knew nothing about. Donald Merritt had no interest in attending university. He felt stifled by his mother's presence and frustrated by the amount of money she gave him each week. By mid-February 1926, 
Merritt had stopped attending classes in Edinburgh even though his mother had paid fees in advance for him to go there and funded a private tutor too. Instead, Merritt would take his book bag with him every morning and head out to meet with a young woman he had first been introduced to as a dance instructor. Betty Christie worked at the Dunedin Palais du Don on Picardy Place. Each night after he told his mother he was going to bed, Merritt would climb out of the window and sneak off to meet with Betty at the dance club. It was an expensive relationship. A price for Betty's company ranged from 15 to 30 shillings per day, and Donald Merritt was eager to impress his new friends at the Palais du Don. Although he was not yet 18 years old, Merritt was over six feet tall and had a stocky build, making him appear much older. He began to buy gifts for Betty and paid her to spend the entire day with him while his mother believed he was studying. Merritt was able to fund his new lifestyle by forging his mother's checks. He used the stolen money to buy rings for his new love interest and bought himself a motorcycle and an automatic pistol. Bertha was utterly oblivious to her son's deception because he ensured he opened any correspondence from the bank before she could. After Bertha Merritt apparently shot herself during the morning of March 17, 1926, Donald Merritt and the maid called the police. Officers arrived and summoned an ambulance to take Bertha to the Royal Infirmary. Merritt was asked why his mother had shot herself, and he explained that they had been arguing over, quote, money matters. On the table where Bertha had been sitting, there was a letter from the bank highlighting that her account was overdrawn. When she arrived at the hospital, Bertha was unconscious but alive. Because she was suspected of attempting to take her own life, she was placed on a ward with barred windows and locked doors. Attempting suicide was considered a criminal act. When she regained consciousness, Bertha seemed to have no recollection of what had happened, and because she was being charged with a criminal offence, no one enlightened her. Merritt had asked those taking care of Bertha not to divulge what had happened, as he did not want her to know anything about it. Bertha told staff at the hospital that she had been writing a letter to a friend when suddenly a bang went off in her head like a pistol. Bertha was asked if there was a handgun in the property and she replied, No. Was there? Bertha went on to explain that she was sure she had been writing a letter. Merritt could attest to it because she distinctly remembered him standing beside her as he was waiting to post it. Bertha said she remembered telling her son, go away Donald and don't annoy me, before there was some kind of explosion. After that she could recall nothing more. 
two days after sustaining the gunshot wound, Bertha Merritt's condition worsened and her son was advised to contact his mother's relatives. Merritt told Sister Grant, who was caring for Bertha, that there would not be much use in sending for them because they were not on friendly terms. This was not true, however, and Merritt made no effort to contact them. It was not until some time after the shooting that Bertha's sister learned what had happened and rushed to Bertha's bedside. Bertha was still none the wiser as to the nature of her injury and asked incessantly what had occurred, but she was placated with answers like, You had a fall. Bertha's sister could not believe that Bertha would attempt to take her own life but Merritt denied outright that he shot his mother. The only explanation they could agree on was that it may have been an accident and the gun might have gone off when Bertha was reaching for something. It was confirmed the pistol belonged to Merritt and he claimed that his mother knew he had it, but he was unsure if she knew it was loaded. Bertha Merritt's condition worsened on March 26th, and by April 1st, she succumbed to an infection in her spine and passed away. The coroner's report concluded that the position of Bertha's wound was consistent with suicide. Donald Merritt was not by his mother's bedside while she was being treated for her injuries. On the day of the shooting, Merritt went straight from the hospital to Dunedin and paid to spend the day with Betty Christie, travelling around on his motorcycle. Merritt had told the staff at the hospital they could call the Palais du Don if they needed to speak with him. Bertha had asked for her son while she was conscious, but Merritt seemed completely indifferent to his mother's pleas. When he was interviewed by the police the day before his mother's death, Donald Merritt gave the following account. About noon on Saturday the 13th of March, I had the pistol and loaded it with six cartridges, one being in the breech and the safety catch on. I was going to the braids to shoot rabbits. I wanted to take it on Sunday morning, but she took it from me and put it in the small drawer in the writing bureau. I think I told my mother to be careful that it was loaded. I never again saw the pistol. On the morning of the 17th, Bertha received correspondence from the bank stating that her account was overdrawn. Shortly thereafter, she sat at the table to write a letter. Merritt explained, I saw an envelope my mother had addressed to Mrs. Anderson. I pointed out a mistake and she said, Go away, you worry me. I went to the other side of the room to get my books when I heard a bang and saw my mother in the act of falling onto the floor. I rushed over to my mother and saw the maid in the hall when I said, Mother has hurt herself. She fell on the left side and the pistol was lying beside her right hand. I telephoned for the police 
and they removed the body to the Royal Infirmary where she was detained. Merritt claimed he placed the handgun on the writing bureau before trying to lift his mother off the floor. After Bertha Merritt's death, her son was named the sole beneficiary and would inherit her estate when he turned 25. However, nine months later, a warrant was issued for Donald Merritt's arrest for the crime of uttering forged checks. This charge came about after police discovered Merritt had passed off the fraudulent checks from his mother's account. That said, stealing money would be the least of his worries. A far more severe charge would keep Donald Merritt in jail until a trial was held at Edinburgh High Court. Donald Merritt's trial under Judge Olnez began in February 1927. The charges he faced alleged that on March 17, 1926, Merritt had shot his mother in the head with a loaded pistol, whereby she was so severely injured that she died on April 1st. The second charge was that he passed 29 forged cheques amounting to a total sum of £457, 13 shillings and 6 pence the equivalent of around £30,000 today. Merritt pleaded not guilty to the charges. Handwriting experts were unable to conclusively state that Donald Merritt had been the one to forge the cheques, but they were able to prove that Bertha Merritt had not been the one to sign them. Because the police believed Bertha had shot herself, they did not dust the gun for fingerprints or conduct a thorough investigation. This meant that the physical evidence against Donald Merritt was weak. Two medical experts were called to testify for the prosecution. Forensic professors Harvey Littlejohn and John Glaister. Professor Littlejohn had examined Bertha's remains on the day she died and reported that he found the bullet lodged in the base of her skull. After initially saying that the wound supported the theory of suicide, Little John conducted experiments with the pistol used in the shooting to determine whether the distance of the barrel from the wound indicated murder. Little John concluded there would have been evidence of blackening from the shot if the gun had been fired at a distance of fewer than three inches. He felt that suicide was improbable. Professor Glaister said that he believed the injury was not self-inflicted. Donald Merritt's defence team hired renowned medical expert Sir Bernard Spilsbury to testify. Spilsbury was held in the highest regard, having provided testimony at notorious murder trials for Dr Crippen and the brides in the bath case. Spilsbury told the court that the lack of blackening around the wound did not indicate that it was murder, or there could well have been blackening that had been concealed by blood from the wound. 
The expert witness said it could have been an accident where Bertha had fallen while holding the gun, but he believed that she had shot herself. Spilsbury was seen as a celebrity at the time, and his testimony would have heavily influenced the jury. The jury returned with verdicts on February 8th, 1927, after an hour of deliberation. Based on the evidence, Donald Merritt was found guilty of charges relating to passing forged checks. On the murder charge, the jury arrived at a majority decision. Not proven. A verdict unique to Scottish courts. The defendant is acquitted... However, some have seen this verdict used when jurors believe the defendant is guilty, even if the prosecution has not presented a strong enough argument. Donald Merritt was sentenced to a year in prison. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Center. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand, and now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. 
Scent air diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Scentair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Scentair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safer families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Scentair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at Centair.com. Donald Merritt served his sentence in Saunton Prison. Upon his release, he went to stay with an acquaintance of his mother, Mary Bernard. Mary had known Bertha while she lived in Edinburgh. After learning of Merritt's legal troubles, Mary wrote to him during his time in prison. Mary, who later went by the name Lady Menzies, was a widow who lived with her 17-year-old daughter Veronica Isabel, known as Vera. Living in close confines and spending much time together, Merritt slowly impressed young Vera, and the pair started a relationship. By March 1928, they were married in a registry office in Glasgow. Vera made a suitable accomplice, and Merritt wasted no time teaching his young bride how to scheme their way around during their honeymoon. Almost cocky in his fraudulent activities, Merritt was not as skilled as he claimed. It was only a short time before he was caught trying to pass fraudulent checks. Donald Merritt was sentenced to nine months in prison, and upon his release he was reunited with Vera. Time and time again the couple were caught obtaining goods under false pretenses, but Merritt did not change his ways. He just changed his name. In 1929, he received a significant inheritance from his grandfather's will and started going by the name Ronald Chesney. The couple brought a yacht and enjoyed the high life, but soon burned through the money Merritt had been given. They lived beyond their means, and even when Merritt inherited the money his mother had put into a trust, they ran out of cash quickly. In 1936, the couple moved to Surrey for a time and lived with Vera's mother. Merritt and Vera adopted two children and they bought a new boat called Gladys May, in which Merritt planned to travel to Gibraltar. He set sail in November 1936 and Vera wrote about his excursion a few years later in Yachting Monthly. Quote, Don had never cruised beyond the channel, and his elementary navigation consisted of two months' study three years previously aboard an oil tanker. His intention was to take the yacht single-handed across the Bay of Biscay to Gibraltar, where I and our infant daughter were to join him. The boat docked in December 1936. Merritt made money by selling items to servicemen at nearby naval bases in Malta. 
Merritt admired the naval officers, and he grew a beard and began wearing a gold earring. Author Conrad Phillips met Merritt during this time and described him as follows. He was huge, gorilla-like, six feet two inches tall and weighing 22 stone, with a longish, narrow face, brooding dark baboon eyes set too close together. A hulk of a man. When war broke out in 1939... Donald Merritt and his family moved back to England and lived in the West London suburb of Ealing with Vera's mother Lady Menzies and Vera's aunt. Around this period, Vera and her mother opened a nursing home in the property where they lived. They took in older people and gave them food, lodgings and health care in exchange for 12 to 18 shillings a week. As the Second World War raged on, Donald Merritt enlisted in the Navy and was deployed overseas. He spent time as a prisoner of war in Italy in 1942. After being repatriated the following year, he was deployed once more. Merritt had a decorated Navy career and ended up being promoted to Lieutenant Commander in 1944. He was known to be a disciplinarian and had a rowdy personality, as well as a peculiar diet. Merritt even ate wine glasses as a party trick. One sailor, Howard Johnson, described Merritt as hard drinking, six feet tall, weighing 22 stone with a huge black beard, a large gold earring dangling from the pierced lobe of his right ear and a real Serrano de Bergerac of a nose. He was a man of violent action who lived to the full. He would sit down to a meal of a dozen raw eggs and swallow them. Then he would follow this with a main course of red raw minced meat and raw minced onion. He never ate cooked meat. He would sink a bottle of whiskey at a one-hour sitting and then go off to a party. He carried a set of loaded poker dice. He never lost a game. He called his winnings pocket money. When the war finally came to an end, Donald Merritt moved to Germany to take advantage of the post-war recession and black market trading. He was in charge of a naval base when he met an 18-year-old called Gerda. Merritt employed Gerda in the German naval base and they quickly began an affair. Things between Merritt and his wife Vera had soured while he served overseas, so Merritt spent time smuggling contraband and his new mistress across borders in Central Europe. At the time, Vera and her mother were running the nursing home in Ealing, and Vera did not want to get a divorce. Merritt was furious because he had put £10,000 of his inheritance into a trust in Vera's name when they got married. He could only access the money if they were legally separated or she died. While Vera continued to deny Merritt a divorce, he spent time in and out of prison in different countries for smuggling. Eventually, Gerda tired of their life of crime, 
but it did not take Merritt long to find another young woman to love and lure into criminality. He met 26-year-old Sonia Vinikis in 1950. Together they continued Merritt's profitable smuggling business, transporting goods across borders in post-war Europe for a hefty sum of cash. Donald Merritt was known as the person to go to if you wanted cigarettes, guns or even women's stockings. Merritt made a stop in England to visit his wife and children, but Vera was still adamant that she did not want a divorce. Vera had not found a new partner. She was busy working in the nursing home she ran with her mother. So Merritt hatched a plan to kill Vera, making it look like an accident, and he could then get his hands on the money held in a trust in his wife's name. Merritt had previously asked some acquaintances to kill Vera, but when no one took him up on the offer, he planned to travel to Ealing under a false identity and end things once and for all. On February 10th, 1954, Donald Merritt journeyed from Amsterdam using someone else's passport, travelling to Sunset Home, the nursing home at 22 Montpellier Road in Ealing. Merritt had been to the property just a few days earlier before returning to Germany with Sonia, and he knew that would serve as a credible alibi when the crime was eventually discovered. Merritt entered the property through a window at the back of the home and quietly climbed the stairs to Vera's bedroom. Vera was subdued, and then Merritt brought her to the bathroom and drowned her in the bathtub. It might have passed as an accidental drowning, but for one thing. Merritt was interrupted before he could flee the scene. Vera's mother, Lady Menzies, had been checking on the nursing home residence when she spotted a large dark figure lurking around and a brutal struggle ensued. Merritt knew he would be caught if Lady Menzies survived to tell anyone she saw him, so he beat her and then bludgeoned her with a coffee pot. When that did not kill her, Merritt strangled his victim to death. Merritt hid Lady Menzies' body in a back room and concealed the evidence of their struggle. He also tidied Vera's bedroom before fleeing. Merritt flew back to Amsterdam that day and returned to the hotel he had been staying at since February 6th, so his alibi could be confirmed by the staff there. Back in Europe, Donald Merritt met up with Sonia and told her nothing of his murderous trip back to the UK, but the crime was quickly discovered by the nursing home staff. Furthermore, the people Merritt had approached to murder Vera began speaking to reporters. He knew he could not return to the UK to collect the money because he was suspected of the killings, so Merritt asked a public trustee to give the money to Sonia instead. On February 16th, Merritt wrote a letter to his solicitor, Mr. Clark. It read, Since writing to you yesterday, 
I have given the matter of my future much thought, and I realise that although innocent, I haven't the chance of the proverbial snowball in Hades of getting out of this mess. I have seen so much of prisons I have no wish to return there even for a day, and the prospect of being hanged appeals to me even less. I assure you that the way I shall have taken to get out of it all may seem cowardly, but it nevertheless does require some courage. I know too it will probably be taken to indicate my guilt. This is, however, not the case. I can only hope that the police eventually do find the doer of the deed. I only wish to make sure that Miss Sonia Vinikis gets everything to which I am heir, and which falls due to me, i.e. the settlement money, some £10,000, and the carpet, silver and chest of drawers at 22 Montpellier Road, Ealing. Please get in touch with her when you receive this letter and act for her in her best interests. Despite all appearances to the contrary, I am in full possession of all my senses and do what I do after careful consideration. Whether as a deed of gift while living or as a will when dead, please see that Miss Finnickies receives everything of which I possessed. The letter was signed John Milner, another alias merit used from time to time. Sonia Vinicky's parents had forbidden her from seeing Donald Merritt once his name was connected to the double murder in Ealing, so he wrote her a letter. It read, Darling, my darling, but in spite of the fact that you told me that you loved me, you would not come to the telephone or out to see me when I sent the taxi driver for you. I wanted to look into your eyes again and hold you close. You know that I am not guilty and how difficult it was for both of us when I read that in the papers. In view of what lies behind me and in view of the fact that I didn't see you this evening, I am sending everything. I have spoken to my solicitor and you will get the money about 20,000 marks. Forget me and find another. You must be happy. Tonight at about 11.30pm I knocked at your window, but I suppose your father locked you in. Just when I wanted to see you once again, he wouldn't let me. When you get this letter, I will no longer be alive. I die with your face before my eyes. O oh, Sonia, my darling, without you I cannot live. I can see you will not come back to me. Your father's influence is too strong. I ask you once again to forgive me for the pain I have caused you. During the time I have known you, I have loved only you. As I die, I love you more than ever. Adieu, my darling. Adieu. So where are we now? The following morning, a postman found Donald Merritt's body in Woodland near Cologne. 
he had shot himself in the head. Discovered with Merritt's remains was a note stating that everything he possessed belonged to Sonia Vinicky's. His body was identified by Sonia and his ex-girlfriend Gerda. Gerda was the only mourner at Merritt's funeral near Cologne held a few days later. A funeral she paid for. On February 27, 1954, referring to Merritt under one of his aliases, Gerda told the Sunday Pictorial Times, Ronald Chesney belonged to me. He loved no other woman as he loved me. Certainly not Sonia Vinicky's, to whom they are saying he left his money. Chesney would trust no one as he trusted me. Although he was a black marketeer, a forger, maybe a murderer, I alone can cherish a memory of the side of him that was clean and good. If Chesney had come back to me instead of Sonia when he was in trouble at the end, we would have fled with him to my parents in the Russian zone of Germany. Even if he had murdered his wife and mother-in-law, I would never have allowed anyone to take him from me. But I had given him up because I wanted him to end this life of crookedness, not because I thought it was wrong, but because it was always landing him or myself in prison. I could not bear the continual separations. Ever since I left him, I have been searching for someone like Chez. I never found him. I never will. A few years later, Gerda recalled Merritt's funeral and spoke of her relationship fondly with a tinge of unconditional love for the suspected triple murderer. She told the Sunday Mirror, I heard the soil falling on the coffin. That melancholy sound still chokes in my ears. It reminds me that I still owe one last service to the man I loved. One day, I shall ask permission to take his remains from alien soil and leave them in the place he loved perhaps more than anything in the world. More than money. More than women. Perhaps even more than me. The sea. After his body was discovered, Donald Merritt's arms were severed by the German police and sent back to Britain as evidence. They bore scratch marks that showed how hard Lady Menzies had fought for her life against her son-in-law. A subsequent inquest showed that unlike in his mother's murder trial, Merritt had left behind a litany of evidence that would have proven his guilt. Donald Merritt's life and crimes have been documented in numerous books, including one by Jonathan Oates, called Chesney, the middle-class murderer. Merritt benefited from birth due to his class, size, inherited wealth, and ability to change his name and conceal his past. Donald Merritt's severed arms are held in formaldehyde at the Scotland Yard Crime Museum, 
along with the coffee pot he used to bludgeon Lady Menzies. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The best way to give someone a gift they'll never forget is to give a gift they'll always use. American Giant makes clothes that just keep getting better with age, like their iconic full-zip hoodie that's designed to last for decades. And a gift they'll wear for years is a gift that keeps on giving. But American Giant makes a lot more than just hoodies. They have impossibly comfy sweaters, classic tees, soft, structured sweatpants, even classic everyday denim. All made right here in the USA, with a quality you'll have to feel to believe. Be a gift-giving giant this holiday season at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code GRATEFULAG23. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code GRATEFULAG23. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.